0: In the meantime, just head over to Patreon.com slash The Writer Files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's Patreon.com slash The Writer Files. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. Hey there, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelton Reed. Here to take you on yet another tour of the Habits, Habitats, and Brands of Renowned Writers. And I got a good one for you this week. I'm bringing back a fan favorite from the archives. Nearly 100 episodes ago, I had the distinct pleasure to interview the number one New York Times bestselling author of The Martian, Andy Weir who dropped by the show in 2015 to chat with me about his writing process in the days just prior to the release of that Oscar-nominated movie uh, adaptation of his hit book, and directed by Ridley Scott and starring Matt Damon. I'm sure you've uh, run across it somewhere. This is a replay of that entire interview I did with Andy, and it's in honor of the publication of his latest book, Artemis, a novel that's being described as a near-future thriller, a high story set on the moon blake crouch the new york times bestselling author of dark matter and also a guest on this show said of the book weir has done the impossible he's topped the martian and ernest klein new york times bestselling author of ready player one called it everything you could hope for in a follow-up another smart fun fast-paced adventure that you won't be able to put down the author's inspiring journey to number one on the new york times bestsellers list with his first novel, uh, began as a humble series of blog posts that grew enough interest to demand self-publishing it to Amazon. And when The Martian's popularity skyrocketed there, traditional publisher Random House called, and the rest is history. From software engineer to sci-fi phenom, Andy's a down-to-earth writer and self-described space nerd who still answers all of his fan mail. In this file, Andy and I discussed how a science geek became a best-selling author, One great trick for improving your dialogue? Why your enthusiasm doesn't determine the quality of your writing, the creative power of a walk and a hot shower, how to turn your daydreams into great stories, Mr. Weir's unique relationship with NASA, and three tips and tricks to becoming an actual writer. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all new StudioPress Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Mr. Andy Weir, thank you very much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to join me on The Writer Files. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you stopping by. I know in the run-up to the adaptation of your incredibly popular book, The Martian, you're just running around and doing a ton of interviews, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, I've been crazy busy. I'm kind of looking forward to when all this dies down a little bit and I can uh, get back into my cave and continue writing. I haven't (laughs) written a word in weeks.
0: Okay, well, that's good to know. It's a good caveat for uh, listeners, but it's exciting to have you on to kind of pick your brain about your process. So I'd like to talk about you, the author. For listeners who may not be familiar with your really, really cool story, who are you and what is your area of expertise as a writer?
1: Well, I'm Andy Weir, and I wrote The Martian. And I don't know how I would define my area of expertise. I spent 25 years as a computer programmer, so that's the only thing I consider myself an expert at. I am a space enthusiast, and so I know a lot more than a layman about um, space and spacecraft and space travel, but I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I enjoy doing research, I'm big into math and science, and I like accurate hard sci-fi. Very
0: cool. Yeah, you're unlike a lot of writers that I know because you actually like math.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm really more of a science geek who managed to write than a writer who managed to do math. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like writing it does not come easily for me. It's <laughs> I had to do a lot of it before I finally made something that didn't suck.
0: Well, I mean it's incredibly compelling writing. And it is, it's is—it's a fascinating story. Obviously, I encourage listeners to pick up The Martian, but but where can they find your writing?
1: You mean like online? Yes. Or, uh, the easiest way to describe it is just Google Andy Weir writing. I have a website, but it's like old school. It's been around since about year 2000. And so it has a big stupid URL that would be very difficult to say over a podcast. So (laughs) if you Google for Andy Weir writing, you'll find my general dumping ground for my creative works. And you'll see everything that's worthwhile is there, except for The Martian, of course, which I no longer have the ability to give away for free.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what are you presently working on?
1: I'm working on my next book now. It's a more traditional science fiction story. It's less technical accuracy and more you know crazy fun uh there are aliens there's faster than light travel and stuff like that but done my own way i have this little kernel of made-up physics that isn't in conflict with real physics and you know all the uh kind of like seemingly magical technologies based on that
0: that must be kind of a relief
1: <laughs> well i don't know it's See, the thing, when you start making up physics, if you're an analytical dorky guy like me or like any of my readers, you start immediately asking questions on how to take advantage of it, right? Yeah. So if you're like, well, wait a minute, I see, you know, according to this, this is how this, you know, warp drive or whatever works, but that means I should be able to send information back in time or that means I should be able to, yeah, hey, this this ends up with positive energy. I You've just created a perpetual motion machine or and so on. And so you you have to be really careful when making up fake physics if your if your readers are scientifically minded folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I've got a pretty good system though. I think I've got a system that you can't you can't violate any real physics with. It's just some additional things, you know.
0: Awesome. I'll come to you with any f- fake physics that I need help with.
1: Yeah, definitely good a good idea.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'd love to get into your productivity a little bit as a writer. How much time per day would you say when you're really getting into a project? Are you reading or doing research for said project?
1: Well, research, quite a lot. I would say, well, so right now I'm like completely unproductive in terms of writing. I just, it's all interviews and media and and stuff like that, you know, for the run up to the release of the film. Yeah. But when that's not happening, (laughs) I would say I spend maybe an hour or two a day on research or, you know. Just non oh, like working on the book in ways other than actually writing prose.
0: Sure, sure. And before you get into a writing session, do you have any other pregame rituals or practices to kind of get you in the mode?
1: Not really. I mean, I've kind of got to edge into it. I've got to guilt myself into it at first, you know, because I'm sitting at my computer and I'm goofing off, and I'm like, "All right, come on, <laughs> you got to get some work done." And like procrastination seems to be a critical step. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. Do you find yourself when you're in the midst of a project writing every day?
1: Well, I try to, and when I, I mean before all the chaos with the uh, film release, I would write every day, and I would set myself a word limit nice. just to give myself a motivation.
0: Yeah. And are you committing to a certain writing session? Or are you scheduling?
1: Well, I mean, I do it every day. I don't know what you mean. Like, are uh, you mean like during a time of it?
0: Yeah. Do you set aside like a, a certain number of hours?
1: No, I'm going after a word count.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And
1: so, you know, sometimes I fail. Sure. (laughs) But I have a a bunch of things that are on my list of, uh, how do I put it? There are a bunch of things that I am, quote unquote, not allowed to do until I've finished my words for the day. So, like, I'm not allowed. These are self-inflicted rules, and obviously, uh, of course, I violate them (laughs) from time to time, but (laughs) I'm pretty good at following them. I'm not allowed to watch TV or any other video entertainment until I've finished my words. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that I like to do that's fun that I can soak up hours doing. And I make a rule that I'm not allowed to do any of that until I finished my.
0: Sure. Do you have a most productive time of day or place to get your writing done?
1: Yeah. Evenings seem to be when I'm most productive, which when I first quit my day job to go full time on writing, I thought I would you know, write during the day, just like at the same time I used to work. But I found that I don't know if it's because it's what I got into a habit of or or what, but I'm just much more productive. I'm much better at writing in the evenings, maybe because that's when I did all my writing before, because Mm. it was always, you know, my leisure time activity. It was, I I worked all day, then I'd come home and write in the evenings. Maybe that's just what I'm used to. I don't know, but that, I seem to be a night writer.
0: Interesting. And do you have an office or do you like to get out into, into like a coffee shop type of a setting?
1: I don't have a home office set up. I've got a desk in the corner of my living room with my computer on it. And that's where I do my writing. I do have a spare bedroom upstairs that I could make into a home office, but it's really hot up there. <laughs> I don't have central air conditioning in my place, and so I like to be downstairs. As for going out into the world, I, I can't do that. I need to be alone in a room when I'm writing, or there's just too many distractions. Yeah. I'm kind of a social guy. I'll talk to people. If I'm in a coffee shop, I'll talk to the, you know, strangers at the de- at the table next to me, you know. <laughs> and even worse, when I'm writing, when I'm doing dialogue, I really want to say the dialogue out loud to see how it flows, to see how it works. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, good track.
1: So I'll do the, I'll actually, I will say a conversation both parts of a conversation or whatever. So anybody watching me write would think that was schizophrenic or something. (laughs) And so I wouldn't be able to do that if I was out in public and that would really not work for me.
0: Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. A DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing and trying again. also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Cool. So when you're really getting into it and getting into a flow, do you like to stick on some headphones, listen to music, or you prefer silence?
1: It's got to be silence. I can, depending on the writing I'm doing, I can sometimes listen to instrumental music. But if it's got words, I can't, I, I can't do it. My brain is busy parsing the lyrics mm. instead of working on the sentences. You see what I'm saying? yeah. And I just I don't know how people can work and listen to lyric music at sure. the same time. And for the most part, even just instrumental music is too much of a distraction when I'm trying to really think and put together stuff when I'm doing, I don't know, less intensive writing, like when I'm writing a pitch or when when the individual like words aren't as critical, when it's not like, ooh, every sentence has to count and, and flow nicely when it's less important then I can listen to instrumental.
0: Nice. So do you believe in writer's block?
1: You know, I don't know if everybody has the same definition of what that is. I have never had a problem coming up with stories or directions that a story could go or, you know, what the characters are going to do next. I've never had that problem. My problem is always motivation. Like, I know, you know, what I need to write next. I know what I need to do. I just got to get off my lazy ass and do it, you know? (laughs) So I never get... If you define writer's block as you know, deciding which way the story is going to go from here or coming up with a good idea. No, I don't get that. But if you define it as being too damn lazy to actually write, then yeah, I get that all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's seg into your workflow a little bit. What hardware are you presently working on?
1: I have a Windows machine. I use Microsoft Word. I guess that's software, not hardware. It's not a laptop. It's a tower. It's really old and out of date, and I should update it. And I will, <laughs> like, I bought a laptop a little while ago, and it's way better and more powerful than my main computer in every way. So it's kind of silly <laughs> that my, you know, the laptop is for when I'm traveling, but it's like better. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So Microsoft Word is your is kind of your go-to software then for for yeah, writing. Yeah, you pretty
1: much have to once you're in the industry because well, actually, I wrote The Martian in Open Office. Hmm. Open Office Writer. Yeah, and it was fine. I mean, I like Open Office. It was fine. And I also think that Word is very, I think they're both very good word processors. Thing is, Word has like excellent collaborative editing features. Yeah. Like, you know, commenting on things and, and doing, it's just like, it's better than any, any other product at that, There that I know of. Sure. And it's what the whole industry uses. So, yeah. you know, I would send my editor a draft in OpenOffice, and he'd send me back his comments having converted it to a Word doc, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that's, it's just the way it is. So if you're, if you're going to be a pro, you're going to use word and that's not that bad. It's a good solid, there's a reason it's dominating. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, it's funny. Hugh Howie was on the show a few weeks back and he had recently posted a a blog post showing the collaborative (laughs) comment or track changes from one of his manuscripts and Uh how, how unorthodox the conversation he and his editor were having back and forth. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, it's pretty funny because no, um,
1: I I haven't seen that.
0: He and his editor apparently talk quite a bit of smack to one another, which is very funny. All linked to it in the show notes. Comedically, or are they
1: actually angry? <laughs> I think
0: it's I think it's for comedic effect, for sure. They've been oh, okay doing yeah, it together. My,
1: my editor and I, uh, we don't go too many levels deep in the um, in the comments. Like, we'll go one or two levels deep. If we have to go any deeper, we talk on the phone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any best practices for beating that procrastination?
1: Just the rules that I was talking about earlier, like, uh, you know, say like, okay, I'm going to have a set number of words per day, and um, until I've accomplished that, I'm not allowed to watch TV, I'm not allowed to watch this or that, I'm not allowed to play games, I'm not, you know, there's this big long list of things that I'm not allowed to do until I've finished my words. And I'm pretty good at enforcing that. It's hard to force myself to work, but it's easier to deny myself things I want to do, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: That helps. There was another thing I was going to say, and dang it, what was it?
0: I did skip over a question about organization and, and just kind of, you know, I mean.
1: That's funny that you, you know ask the questions and out of order. And the one that you missed was the one about organizing things. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. I'll have that edited out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so do you have any organizational hacks or, or kind of methods in it? And it seems like you're a pretty methodological person. Do you have anything that you can offer other writers as kind of tricks?
1: Well, I don't know if this is useful to anyone else, but I have like some tricks. First off, of course, I make note of all my research, like anything, any useful information, I, I take notes on it in just a separate file. So any story I'm writing will be in its own folder, right? And in that folder will be a file called stuff, you know, stuff.doc or stuff.docx. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll, it'll just have like, you know, when I'm like, oh, okay, I need to look up this information here. And I'm going to, you know, I spend an hour or so researching. I make notes in my stuff File about it so that I can refer to them later and I'll keep track of all the URLs that were useful to me when I was researching it. So that, you know, in 10 minutes when I freaking forget all of it, (laughs) I'll be able to refer back to that stuff file. Also, since I do a lot of math and double check things in math, I end up with lots of spreadsheets and their Excel is really handy for when you're kind of like groping around with math looking for an answer.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So how do you unplug at the end of a long day of writing?
1: Oh, I forgot. Uh, what, one thing I wanted to say, uh, the, the thing that I had forgotten earlier on yes. how, how I motivate myself. So a great writer, and I can't remember his or her name. I, uh, I I just completely blanked on who it was. But they said, sometimes you're writing and you're extremely motivated. You're just like cranking out where it's doing well. And other times it's just like a slog. It's like every word on the page is like this huge amount of work for you. And you feel like crap, you feel like you're just, you know, just hammering away and it's just constant effort and it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. One thing you'll notice is if you wait a week and then look back on the stuff you wrote, you can't tell the difference between when you were motivated and when you weren't. Hmm. So it's really important to remember, and this helps me a lot, it's really important to remember that the quality of your work isn't greatly affected by the amount of enthusiasm you had at the moment you wrote it that seems to be the case. And I checked and it's, it's true. I mean, I can be like, oh, I remember when I wrote this, I wasn't very motivated, but it's fine. It's no better and no worse than this stuff I wrote earlier when I was really excited. So that helps you, or it helps me when I'm sitting down at my computer and I'm in that mode when it's a slog and I'm like, oh, God, this is just torture. I'm just like shoving, I'm just gutting this out. <laughs> I'm just grinding my way through. Yeah. And it's good to remind myself, I'm like, well, I'm grinding my way through, but I'm I'm doing something useful. This isn't like, I'm not just writing crap that I'm going to throw away later. This is good, you know, content. So that can be helpful to remember that. It's like you're accomplishing things.
0: That is a great reminder.
1: And I wish I could remember the author that said that, but I don't.
0: Okay. So circling back to the unplug question, how do you unplug at the end of a long day?
1: Mostly I just need time. I need time between writing and going to bed. That's like an hour or so to kind of like not think. I tend to shower at night, and so that's a good thing I'll usually do is I'll, I'll take a shower, do all that, kind of like plop down in my uh, recliner, get a cat or two on my lap, and then and then watch DVR TV shows that I wasn't allowed to watch because earlier <laughs> because I hadn't finished my words, you know? Nice. Just be entertained instead of entertaining, you know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. And it's funny how many writers say that very same thing that they go from writing the stories to like, you know, reading or or, uh, becoming a consumer. Yeah, it's cool. It's very cool.
1: I don't even get to read for pleasure that much anymore.
0: Well, I was going to say that other writers have also said that, you know, they get their best ideas in the shower. A lot of people say this. Oh, yeah, me too. So are are you then (laughs) having to write things down?
1: No, I never have to write things down, but I definitely do come up with a lot of good ideas on showers. Another thing is, um, in the daytime, I like to take long walks. Nice. I take walks in part for exercise. Yeah. It's about the only exercise I get. I've got kind of crappy knees. I can't really jog. And I I just enjoy it. And so I get a lot of writing done or a lot of conceptualizing done while I'm on those walks.
0: Said many a famous author.
1: Yep. <laughs> it's good. Well, it, it like it forces you to think in a way because it's like you're not around on your computer. You're not staring at a TV. You're just like out and walking and your brain has nothing to do but think about stuff. (laughs) That's
0: right. That's right. Hey there, I just wanted to take a quick moment for an important announcement for the professional writers out there in the audience. Copyblogger has a list of recommended certified content marketers. It's uh, where people look to hire an excellent professional writer who understands content strategy. And if you'd like to join that list of writers, you can visit copyblogger.com slash get certification to sign up for their wait lists and get all the details on when that program reopens again very soon. Making a living as a writer isn't easy, Now, obviously finding clients, managing your business as a business and positioning yourself to rise above that pennies per word freelance treadmill can be a grind. The certification program exists to reward good writers with more clients, more revenue, more stability and more respect. If you're a writer and you want to turn yourself into a valued content strategist, if you're a writer and you just want support and advice on reaching your professional goals. If you're a writer and you want to find better clients and belong to a prestigious list of recommended writers, then you want to get Copyblogger certified. You can add your email address to that waitlist at copyblogger.com slash get certification. Get all the details before that program reopens to the public. That's copyblogger.com slash get certification. Well, let's uh, sag into creativity here. Andy, can you define creativity in your own words? Wow, that's
1: broad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's the ability to imagine scenarios that most people haven't already imagined. How's that?
0: I love it. Okay, that's very succinct. <laughs> and when do you personally feel the most creative?
1: I usually do it by mistake. You know, usually it's because I'll daydream or fantasize about something, and then I find myself coming back to that same fantasy. And I know I say fantasy and people immediately assume sex fantasy, but I mean, I mean fantasy sitting around, imagining yourself as an astronaut is a fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I keep coming back to the same thing over and over again, then I'm like, this might be a good story because if I keep fantasizing that I can do this, that I have this superpower or that I can do this other thing or whatever, that I'm in a situation, if it's interesting enough to keep pulling me back into daydreaming about it, then it'll be interesting enough to entertain a reader if, if I can make the reader empathize or self-insert with the main character, right? Absolutely.
0: Would you say you have a creative muse right now?
1: A muse? I don't know. I, I've, I've never really got the the muse thing. It, does that mean like something I do or or does it just mean do I feel creative lately or...
0: I'm not sure either. I think it means a lot of different things, to a lot of different people, and of course, you know, they're the literal muses and, and from antiquity, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> who are supernatural beings. Um, I do
1: not have Roman goddesses.
0: <laughs> okay, um, well, I'm just curious. I mean, yeah.
1: I don't know. I just I've I've always come up with random stuff. I mean, I also come up with a lot of really stupid things. So the trick is, you know, making sure not to try to focus on on the stupid stuff too much. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, I I came up, I spent hours one day coming up with a sequence of events or a storyline for a guy who gets lucky all the time, right? He's just really lucky. And he finds out, I mean, he definitely, he realizes that there is such a force in the universe as luck, and he has it. But he finds out eventually that it's not him who's lucky, it's his cat. And his cat is lucky, (laughs) and the cat loves him. Therefore, he is protected by, you know, the forces of luck that surround the cat, so that, like, he can't die because that would make the cat sad. And so luck ensures that the cat won't ever be sad. And so I put a lot of work into that until I kind of, like, thought about it objectively for a minute and went, like, that's a freaking stupid story <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, that's
0: subjective.
1: <laughs> the solicitous feline is <laughs> <if> not uh...
0: <laughs> I hope that you've already registered this idea with the Writers Guild.
1: If somebody else writes that idea and makes a good story out of it, they've earned it.
0: <laughs> Surely, there's a, a Hollywood executive listening right now who has just jotted all of that down very quickly. sent it to?
1: Power to him! Power to him!
0: <laughs> we'll see it on the big screen in a year. Looks for me. <laughs> what do you think makes a writer great?
1: I guess it just means if you can, the writers who really engage or grab the reader and make and make the readers really immerse immerse themselves in the story and care about the protagonists are the ones who get called great. Now, the truly great writers are the ones who did it on purpose and know what they're doing. I did it by mistake. I have no idea what I did right. At the time I wrote The Martian, I I thought I was writing it for a core group for my mailing list on my website, a core group of nerds. I had no idea it would have mainstream appeal. And I'm really insecure about my next book because I don't know. (laughs) I don't really know what I did right. But the great writers, the truly great writers are the ones who have an instinctive understanding of how to draw the reader in and make them care about the characters and get involved and immersed in the story.
0: Do you have some favorite authors at the moment?
1: Well, my Holy Trinity are Heinlein, Asimov and Clark. Mm. Those are the ones I grew up reading, even though it's a generation off of mine, is because my dad had an inexhaustible paperback collection of sci-fi books. And so I read the books that he read when he was growing up. So those are my favorites of all time. My favorite current authors, I don't get to read much current authors, but I really like Ernest Cline. And I like Hugh Howie. I I like Wool. I like the Silo stuff. And uh, I like Peter Cline's a lot. Hmm. Now, in the past, I get a lot of crap because, like, I mentioned nothing but men. <laughs> and so I don't want people to think that I have a problem with female authors. I don't. I just, I just don't read much contemporary stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big sci-fi fan. So the Baby Boomer era sci-fi stuff was overwhelmingly dominated by men. Yeah. But when it comes to science and women, I recommend Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. It's nonfiction. It's one of the few nonfiction books I've ever read that I loved.
0: That's a great recommendation. I'll put that in the uh, in the show notes as well. Can you share a best-loved quote?
1: Hmm. Well, it's, it's just sort of a joke, but from Terry Pratchett, also one of my favorite authors ever, he had a line in one of his books that said, if you build a man a fire, you keep him warm for a night. If you set a man on fire, you keep him warm for the rest of his life.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that can be interpreted in a few different ways. I like it.
1: <laughs> no, I think there's really only the one... <laughs> It was a a pretty, it was the bad guy in the, in the story that said that.
0: (laughs) I've overthought that. (laughs) So let me ask you a few fun questions. Do you have a favorite literary character?
1: Oh, you know, that's a tough one. Okay. So I know this is a weird, a really weird answer. And I don't know if she's my favorite literary character, but she is certainly among my favorites is Tinkerbell. Hmm. (laughs) So Tinkerbell is really interesting because, like, Peter Pan is a story you know for kids, right? Right. And it's a story about you know like childhood versus adulthood, and the real, the real like plot development in Peter Pan is that Wendy gives up being a child in order to work toward being an adult, right? Right. I mean that's the main thing. But Tinkerbell is a really really interesting character because I think a lot of people forget what her characters like in the real Peter Pan and the original and stuff. She was bad. Like, mm-hmm. Tinkerbell actively tried to murder Wendy on several occasions. <laughs> yes. Not just in little ways. Like, she actually tried to kill Wendy repeatedly. And, she, I mean, that's like murder. It's like evil, right? Yeah. But then, in the end, she redeems herself by almost dying to save Peter.
0: That's right. right? That's right. And so,
1: she is actually a, a complex and interesting character who is... I mean, you don't see it often in fiction where she did genuinely evil things for genuinely selfish reasons, (laughs) but then is still a protagonist, a prime mover of the plot, and in the end, a self-sacrificing character. And I think that's a very interesting, I, I think it's just a very deep and interesting character.
0: Absolutely. Very Shakespearean and dark.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, she's like, a murderer, like, or <laughs> would have been, if she'd had her way.
0: Right. Forgot about that, uh, the darker uh, elements of Peter Pan.
1: Yeah, she, was, she was like, I mean, you could classify Tinkerbell as evil.
0: <laughs> There's some little girl crying right now.
1: Well, little girl needs to know how the world works. <laughs> that's Why is a that's my daughter. To, a, to an author's <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the process-related podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, well, we'll move on.
1: <laughs> going to be an author. She should know these.
0: <laughs> She's already playing with the typewriter.
1: Okay, there you go.
0: If you could choose any author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to anywhere, who would you choose and where do you think you'd take them?
1: Hmm. Well, so whenever I get asked uh, rhetorical questions, I always end up wandering off into directions the questioner didn't want. Okay. (laughs) We like that. We like that here. Well, then I would answer something like, okay, Shakespeare, and I'd take him to the top of the CN Tower or something like that so that. And we just spend the whole thing talking about the advances of civilization in the five centuries that he hasn't been around, you know. And so, but I I get the feeling you would rather. (laughs) No. No? Okay.
0: I think that's a great answer. All right. In fact, it sounds like. I'd
1: rather bring a a scientist, though. I'd rather. (laughs) no, Seriously, I would rather have Kepler just over for dinner at my house. And I could tell him all this stuff that we've learned about planetary motion since he's died.
0: Mm. Well, I think you're allowed to have two.
1: Okay. There we go.
0: And you could have them in the same place at the same time, which would be mind-bending.:
1: Kepler, this is Shakespeare. Shakespeare <laughs> Kepler. Shakespeare would be like, "Who the hell is this?" And Kepler's like, "Oh my God, Shakespeare. <laughs> I love your work. <laughs> yeah.
0: So actually,
1: they were contemporaries, I think. <laughs>
0: well let me, get, let me google that really quick.
1: I, I'm doing it too. Uh, yeah, they were like this, almost the same generation. They were born nine uh, just a few years apart, actually.: Very cool. And then Kepler died about 15 years after Shakespeare. So he'd be like, what's up, bro? <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I think we've touched on two potentially blockbuster Hollywood.
1: 16th century, yo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you have a writer's fetish at all? Do you collect rare first editions or old typewriters or any any other weird stuff no, like that?
1: No, I, I don't. I don't collect. I don't have anything like that. I have ended up with a bunch of signed copies of things from various other authors that I've met. So I kind of have a collection of that going. I've got some nice space memorabilia from lots of things. So I I, I like that. I like space memorabilia.
0: That's awesome. So I know you've spent some time at NASA, at the Jet Propulsion Labs over there, because they really love your work, don't they?
1: Yeah, they're really happy with it. They see it as a first off. They they like the scientific accuracy, so they feel like it's like showing the public what space travel is really like. Also, they hope it'll like reinvigorate public interest in the space program. Yeah. And finally, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that it portrays NASA in an extremely positive light.
0: <laughs> That's pretty amazing, and, and congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. Also, I think JPL really likes it a lot because I call out JPL explicitly. Yeah. And show that there's a difference between the two and so on.
0: Well, I think it's fascinating to me that they actually promoted your movie.
1: Well, they kind of do and they kind of don't. There are limits on what they're allowed to do. Mm -hmm. They're not allowed to actually promote private products or whatever. Sure. But they can certainly use the movie to try to increase public awareness of Mars missions and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool that you even have a relationship with them as a result of your work.
1: It's awesome. I got to go to Houston uh, Johnson Space Center, and uh, I got like four days of VIP tours. I wow. got to hang out in the Mission Control Center, like literally in the Mission Control Center, not just in the Observation Bay. That's great. And like they let me sit at the Cronus Station, which is one of the flight control stations, and they let me remotely control a camera mounted on the outside of ISS.
0: Oh my, oh my. Yeah,
1: that was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> like the best week of my life, pretty much.
0: <laughs> so who or what has been your greatest teacher?
1: Hmm. Well, my greatest teacher in terms of actual teachers <laughs> was my trigonometry and calculus teacher named Mr. Fong, Nelson Fong from uh, Livermore High School. He was my favorite teacher that I ever had. He was really good, really good math teacher. But in general, I think just having a lifelong interest in the space program and, and going out of my way to watch... Every documentary I can get my grubby little paws on about it and yeah. stuff like that. It's, it was really distributed. It wasn't like there was one specific thing. Google and Wikipedia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and we have a whole generation coming behind us that uh, would probably say the same. So, can you offer advice to fellow writers on how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving?
1: Yeah, indeed. I get asked that a lot, and I've so I've had a chance to put a lot of thought into it, and I've got I think pretty good answers. First off, you have to actually write in order to be a writer. It's easy, and I know lots of people who've done this, and it takes a while to break out of this trap. It's easy to sit around and fantasize about a story and think up all the details of the plot and what'll happen here and imagine awesome scenes and stuff like that. But until you actually put it down on a page, it's just a daydream and it's not a story. Yeah. It's when you put it onto paper that you find all the little problems that you hadn't thought of. That you suddenly realize, oh, you know, maybe dedicating, you know, two two hundred pages to the backstory of this castle they're in maybe isn't as great a narrative idea as I thought, <laughs> you know. And that's when you find the problems, and that's when you start to fix it. And so you need to, you need to actually write. That's number one. Number two is, and this one's very hard resist the urge to tell your story to your friends and family so like you've got an awesome story you tell your buddies about it and they're interested they're not just indulging you they are like whoa whoa that's awesome okay wait now so then what happens next and what about this character would does, would he go do blah and oh that's awesome and you've got to not do that you've got to not tell them at all yeah. The reason is because almost every writer or certainly in my case and I think most writers will say the same they're they're driven by a desire to have an audience to have other people like read and enjoy their work. If you verbally tell the story to your friends that satisfies your need for an audience and saps your desire to actually write it. So you make yourself a rule and you say no one can possibly find out about this story other than reading it. So that'll really motivate you to write. Yeah. And the third thing I would say, the third and final thing is, there has never been a better time in history to self-publish. The internet has removed the old boy network between you and the reader. You can write, you can self-publish to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. There are lots of options. You have no financial risk on your part. You can just put it up there and see how it goes. Put as much effort as you want into uh, publicity or marketing, and you can be a success without having uh, a big publishing house give you the go-ahead.
0: That's fantastic. So where can uh, fellow scribes connect with you out there?
1: My email is public. It's on my website and stuff. its uh, I mean, I can say it. It's cephalon at gmail.com, but no one will know how to spell cephalon. <laughs> but you can find it online. And I answer all fan mail.
0: That's fantastic. That's the first time I've actually had a guest give their email out publicly.
1: Yeah, I spend probably, I don't know, Half an hour to an hour a day just answering fan mail. That's awesome. If it gets overwhelming, then it just means that it'll take me a little while. (laughs) But I do answer them all.
0: Well, I'm sure that you've got a busy few weeks ahead.
1: I do indeed. The premiere is a week from tomorrow. Have you seen the film? I have. It's awesome. And I saw it a few weeks ago. But the version I saw, they, they still hadn't put in all the special effects. So there's a lot of <laughs> it was kind of funny. It's like you're watching it, you're involved, you're 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 immersed in it and then all of a sudden there's a scene where you can see the giant wires holding people <laughs> up and or this really ghetto like you know kind of circa 1994, you know, video game cutscene, you know, rough in because they do the special effects dead last pretty mm, much. Yeah. The, or the CGI effects. They do those pretty much absolutely last because If you have one minute of CGI or like, no, like one second of CGI scenes is like 50 to a hundred thousand bucks. Wow. So you want to make sure, you know, the exact scene sequence and how everything is going to be before you start (laughs) doing the CGI. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Before you hit render. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) well, yeah. (laughs) Well, I hope that you get to meet some of that amazing cast and crew over there. My uh, yeah. my pick would be to meet Ridley Scott, if that were a possibility. Did you actually get to meet the uh, director?
1: Yeah, I met Ridley Scott and Matt Damon a few weeks ago at an event at JPL. And so I got to chat with them briefly, although they then got we got to chat Briefly in private, and then we were brought up on stage and did a group interview thing. Mm. And then we went all different directions. Ridley went home, Matt went to get a tour of JPL, and I went and stood in a room and got interviewed all day (laughs) (laughs) by reporters who each had four minutes with me.
0: Wow. Wow. That must have been interesting.
1: And that was cool. And I also met, just by chance, I met Kate Mara, who plays Johansson in the film. Yeah. Met her at Comic-Con. She was there promoting the new Fantastic Four movie. And I was in the green room, the Fox green room. And there she was. And so I went up and introduced myself. Wow, that's cool. That's And very she was cool. like, oh, hey, you wrote the book. Hey, that's great. And it made me feel good about myself. <laughs> so she actually was genuinely interested in meeting me or polite enough to pretend to be interested. <laughs> <meeting> <laughs> Either way, it makes me feel good.
0: All right. Final fun question. What is your favorite movie about Mars
1: favorite movie about Mars well there aren't really that many are there I mean there are a bunch but then there 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 really aren't you know I really this is silly but I really liked Mars attacks (laughs) yeah sure
0: that's a pretty funny one
1: silly movie it didn't take itself seriously you know it's really silly is that Tim Burton uh, I think so yeah yeah I think so. And you know, what's funny is like, I'm sure as soon as, as soon as we're done with this call, I'm going to be like, Oh God, of course this <laughs> So there's probably something blatant that I'm missing. I remember when I was, a uh, when I was, uh, when I watched total recall back in the era of like nineties action movies, that, that was really awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are quite a few that I, I mean, I total recall mission to Mars is, is mission kind of to Mars. Those.
1: I like that. Cause I like Gary Sinise a lot. Yeah. So, curious News, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don Cheadle. Uh,
1: I like, and Don Cheadle, right. Yeah. So I like that one, even though I thought that the resolution at the end was kind of silly, but I, I like sure. the film. I am one of the seven or so people on earth that actually like John Carter.
0: <laughs> That's funny. And it's considered one of the better ones, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, it didn't. I think it was, it actually was a commercial success eventually. I mean, it, yeah. it actually, it made more money than it cost them to make it. Yeah. It didn't start a franchise, but you know, no, it did all right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I will encourage listeners to um, find The Martian in any format that you can. I know it's in hardback. Is it in paperback yet?
1: Yeah, hardback, trade paperback, normal paperback, and ebook are all available. Oh, and audiobook. The audiobook is excellent, particularly good, because uh, the narrator, R.C. Bray, did a fantastic job, and he won an award for it.
0: That's outstanding. So find The Martian if you can before it comes out in theaters next month, because it is such a compelling and fantastic read. I can't imagine how they're going to translate it to the screen, but the book is outstanding. And thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your process here.
1: Oh, sure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining me on another tour of The Writer's Process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you soon.